0: growing up, I think I was just looking for any sort of solution to feel whole, to feel at peace.
1: I think the single most important decision I made as an adult was to speak even though I was afraid.
0: We're drowning in information, but we're starving for wisdom.
1: If you think of someone very wealthy a hundred years ago, does not have the quality of life that a regular person has. Has today
0: and I just found that it's becoming more and more important to be not necessarily fully off-grid but to be sustainable for yourself welcome to the in search of more podcast I am your host
1: Ellie Nash join me weekly on my quest for more more from myself and more from this world we'll see you on the other side
0: uh, I like starting podcasts or any like interpersonal experience with a calming breath work session so what we'll do is a basic four seven eight breathing very simple but i found that it's so calming especially now that i have a child sometimes i wake up with very little sleep under my belt and i just need to set the tone in a calm way so what we'll do you can put your hands on your legs wherever's comfortable for you relax your shoulders i like to keep my eyes maybe halfway closed and we'll breathe in for four seconds we'll hold for seven we'll exhale for eight I'll guide you through it. I'll be breathing with you. And we'll go from there. So to begin, we'll just take a few
2: slow, long breaths before we begin the actual sequence. Belly, chest, out. If you feel any type of tension or excess thinking, that's beautiful. Go with it. In through the nose, exhale, pursing the lips, releasing. Don't hold it in, let it out, hear it come out. All right, we'll begin four seconds in. Hold. Exhale, inhale for four, two, one, and hold six. Exhale for deep for four. Hold. Two. Exhale. (sighs) Inhale deep for four. Hold. Exhale. Ease. Inhale deep for four. Hold. Exhale. <sighs> exhale, exhale, exhale. One more time. Inhale for four hold. Exhale in <sighs> regular breathing. Your pace. Thank you for letting me do that. Absolutely. Thank you
1: for doing it. Absolutely. All right. I'm sitting here with Adam Wenger. Perfect. Adam Wenger. You spell it with a U, right? Yep. U-E-R. So I'm sitting here with Adam Wenger, fitness coach, fitness enthusiast, father, and uh, the founder of Element. Element Health. Element Health. So a CBD company.
2: Yeah.
0: Awesome.
1: Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you
0: so much. I'm honored to be here. Awesome. So,
1: All right, here we go. It's an ad, but it's not an ad because I was paid. It's an ad as an expression of love and appreciation for someone who did a lot for me and this podcast specifically. I'm talking about Ryan Carter from Scarlet Row. Many of you may know Ryan because he was a familiar face in the early days of the podcast, but much more than being a familiar face, he was kind of the, the juice behind the podcast from the very first day I had the idea. He's the one who pushed it from not just online webinars, but for consistent content, then going from audio to video. Everything you see here was his concept, his idea, and his execution. In addition to this podcast, Ryan has done a ton of work for you and my companies from creative design, photography, brand strategy, brand development, creating video content, creating presentations, photography, and much, much more. So you name it in that space, you want to create content. He's your guy. Even if your idea is just an idea, and you don't have it all worked out, bring it to Ryan. He'll help turn that idea into something you can be proud of. It's cool how we met. Someone just messaged um, me, sent me a link to your uh, Ben Greenfeld podcast and said, hey, I think this would be a good guy to have on the show. So, um, to be honest, I don't, um, I don't really go too deep into it. I just feel the message. And if it feels right, I say yes. And that's it. So that's how we're here. That's
0: how it should be, right? Yeah. Maybe. We'll art, find
1: out. <laughs> yeah. So it felt good and uh connected with Yassi and here you are. So welcome. Awesome. So you live out in Surfside.
0: Yeah, we uh my wife, my son, hopefully our girl coming soon in Surfside, Florida. And uh right on the beach. Awesome. Beautiful beach town, the energy of the beach. Actually just saw a study on how the beach, you never see someone that's unhappy on the beach. Something about the electrons, the sun, vitamin D, everything about it, people closer to the beach are just happier. And we we experience that. Right. But um uh, half the year we're on one of my farms in uh Arcadia, which is about three hours away from here.
1: You don't have to go so far for a farm. You got one right here. Yeah, I see that. Now <laughs> I didn't know about all this. No, it's like this hidden place. It's incredible. Yeah, a little ranch country. Okay, so Let's uh, talk about where you grew up, your story. I know you um, dabbled with addiction a little bit, so some of my story as well. would love to get into that before we get into where you're at now.
0: Gotcha. Uh, I grew up in North Miami Beach, kind of near Aventura, in a great neighborhood raised by Jewish parents, and it seemed like a picturesque way to grow up. And... um, I think I just felt like some sort of disconnect. One thing that happened was I had grandparents, great grandparents that died when I was very young. And I was never introduced to death in any way. I don't know if that's a common theme with kids that are like seven, eight years old. And they were picking actually I was younger. And I just remember this is something that hit me when I was driving here. Uh they used to pick me up every day from I think preschool, Jewish the great preschool. grandparents? Great grandparents, yes. I was blessed to have them. And they didn't pick me up one day from school. My mother did. And she, I was like blown away. Why is this, you know? Why isn't Nanny picking me up? She used to cook for me all the time right after school. And she goes, she died. I don't think she knew how to tell me that. And I'm like, died? What, what does that even mean? I don't think like I'd comprehend the concept. And they told me. And I was just like destroyed. It, I... It took me so long to come to terms with what it meant. You know, in religion, I did go to Hebrew school. And we, we didn't talk about death as much. You talk about religion. Mm-hmm. You talk about just the history of... Which school did you go to? Right. Uh, Lerman Day School growing up. And then mm-hmm. Beth Torah is where I went for like my continued education. And, yeah, it hit me so hard. I just remember it, it like, was very formative for me because I became very fascinated with death, while I also had an extreme fear of it that hit me so hard in my core. I mean, I couldn't even watch certain shows where someone would die. I would feel this, like, depression and angst, like, a total discomfort. Like, am I dying? Like, what is death? I finally got over it. I remember this. And then my great-grandfather passed, like, right when I got over it. And it was very weird. I somehow got to see his body, and it just, like, completely traumatized me. And growing up, I think I was just looking for any sort of solution to feel whole, to feel at peace. I mean, when you're growing up, either way, you know, as you start entering middle school, you start going through puberty, different things, it's just it's an odd thing. Thankfully, we didn't have the internet back then. Because that probably would have complicated things even more. But I ended up going to a middle school that was close to my house and surprisingly there was a lot of violence there. There was kids that had failed grades that were like 18 at the time. And I'm like a 13 year old boy going to a school. And the whole thing was they would take your lunch money, beat the crap out of you. Oh wow. Especially if you were white. I know this sounds pretty weird. Like you wouldn't expect that in Miami, but, and my father was actually born in Cuba. So I was a Cuban Jew. I may not look the part, but being white, at least in the area that I was, the people I navigated the middle school realm with, we were a target, and I used to have to hide money in my shoes. I've told this story a lot because my pockets would get emptied. I would literally get a ball thrown in my head, and people would just. It's a public on school. You. Public school, which but you wouldn't anticipate because the school had very high ratings. Anyhow, it a kid that's already not comfortable in his skin, you start telling him like, "Oh, you're bad because of the color of your skin," and you start getting beat up, like physically assaulted, really bad. Uh, you come home with black eyes and cuts and bruises. A little kid, this is very traumatic. Mm-hmm. And um, it led my parents to putting me in martial arts at a very young age, which I loved. It was like an outlet for me. But at the same time, I think I just tried experiencing different things to try to find a solution to my pain. You know, a lot of people go to food or, who knows, sports. And I dealt with that for a while. Luckily, you know, I got out of it okay. What was your drug of choice? Well, later on, I started with cannabis. That was the thing for me. Pot, weed, whatever you want to call it these days. Now I'm so cool I say cannabis, you know, because I anyhow, in the industry I'm in with hemp, we always refer to everything as cannabis versus weed or marijuana and all that. Right. But at the same time, I mean, did you have a DARE program going up growing up? Like, I heard in of it, school? but no,
1: I grew up in a very orthodox.
0: Okay, Trinity, so. so yeah, there was always dare, stay off drugs, stay off drugs. And I just had this this idea in my head that drugs are bad. But kids were using pot back then, like very crappy pot. Not what you would expect today. And I tried it. I remember I was like a ninth grader or eighth grader. And I was like, oh my God, this is it. I found the coolest thing. It's like an escape, but it's an adventure. It gives me this all-encompassing experience where I don't have to worry about my problems and I can... Do something that's a little edgy maybe or dangerous. And I would do that and we just did it all the time and we just thought it was fun. And back then pot was totally illegal. You know, parents wouldn't approve of it. And I said, well, what else are they lying to us about? You know, so I started getting into other drugs, psychedelics at a young age when I wasn't really prepared for it. But then even cocaine came around, all this type of stuff. This was this was more high school. This is more just experimenting. Eventually I did get hooked on Oxycontin and cocaine in very high doses and that was problematic, but I gotcha. Yeah. And uh, you navigate out of that how? So that was more in college. I uh, thankfully found Zen Buddhist meditation. Um that really got me to understand like why I was doing these drugs, which is to not deal with emotion. I think that stemmed from when we're young. I think that's something that they don't teach in school. This is one reason why I'm homeschooling my son, because I think the public school system has failed us. I think private school might be different. I didn't go to private school. Um, I think a lot of our societal infrastructures and establishments have failed us, and people are really recognizing it now. And I think for kids in their most formative years, this is like, so crucial. We need to teach them how to cope with emotions. We need to teach them how to deal with money. We need to teach them interaction with other humans. How old's you? your... You have a son, you said. Son, he's two. He's two. We're actually doing IVF for our second child on Friday. So I'm kind of like buzzing Same right Monday. now. I'm so excited. <laughs> you have no idea. And um, yeah, I mean, the amount of drugs that I had done, including steroids, and I was into MMA in college, different things like that. When I got in checked. They told me you couldn't have kids it just wouldn't be a possibility That was when you got married um after we got married we decided right. to have kids and it just wasn't going right it just wasn't happening naturally i mean i had a feeling because i had done so much stuff but when i went to the doctor's office and they had me checked out they're like yeah you're at zero i mean you can get into the details of what zero is with sperm count motility and all that it's very get into the details yeah i think it's interesting. also i had zero sperm they found like one or two but you're looking for tens of millions so when I had a few floaters and they're like these aren't even moving they're, they have no motility and they're like you're not going to be able to have kids like we see people that have reduced
1: Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
3: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Sperm counts. This is very common right now because of everything from plastics in the food supply, in our water, in our clothing, um, chemicals in the water. I've had water tested throughout Miami. I've seen the tests in other cities. And the amount of carcinogens and toxins is just through the roof. If people knew this, they would never drink from a sink or a basic Brita filter. Um, yeah, I mean the food quality is destroyed. Our soils are depleted. It's you have to be very vigilant with everything you do nowadays. It's almost exhausting. You have to find like a good balance. But anyhow, but you
1: you felt in your case, because um, although many people have low sperm counts, you had pretty much zero. Yeah, zero. You felt zero. like that was because
0: of steroids or probably steroids. And then when you come off steroids for long periods of time, because I was doing MMA, a little bit of bodybuilding, you have to find something to bring you back. Otherwise zero, when you do high levels of testosterone or anything of that nature and you stop your natural levels drop. And if you do it long enough, they don't come up. And when you take into account that the natural level of testosterone has progressively lowered in the last 30 years, like if you were to go to a doctor 30 years ago, they would say, Average testosterone level is 650. This is just the normal, free testosterone. Now when you go to a doctor, they say the average level is between 350 and 450. So 30 years ago, if you went to a doctor and had 350, they go, your test is low, we need to do something. Now, they think it's fine and dandy. I think that's why we also see a lack of like men acting more masculine and taking more masculine roles. But either way, I was very low. So I got on testosterone replacement therapy, which is super common nowadays. Back then, it wasn't as common, but it's becoming so prevalent. And um, by using that, and even when I tried stopping that, they just said your numbers are at zero. Using that helped you? or no? It helped me feel amazing. It got me back to feeling good without needing to use anabolic steroids. And you feel yourself again. And men with low testosterone that already have kids, they should definitely be looking into testosterone replacement therapy. I've worked with so many people. We talked about being a fitness coach. I'm a health optimization coach by trade. I'm not doing it as much. I take on very few clients now because the other company is growing so big and so fast. But we get your test checked right away. This is like one of the first things we do. And a majority of people, I've seen kids 23 years old. I mean, they're adults with super low testosterone and they're not using drugs. I mean, so low that they're not wanting to go and find a girl. They're not wanting to have sex. They're not. And what wanting do you attribute that to? Uh, definitely plastics and phytoestrogens. A lot of things in our food supply, and just the fact that people have plastic all around them, like polyester clothing, for example. This is one of the worst things you could wear. People need to be wearing from an energetic standpoint and from a chemical standpoint. When you start heating it up, it's seeping into your pores. And in Florida, we're sweating all the time if we're washing our clothes and we're washing polyester or rayon, it's plastic. It's going right into the water supply. It's in our drinking water. It's everywhere. I mean, we're seeing everything made out of plastic, even in cars. When you get a new car, that new car smell, that's chemicals. That's toxins. It's dioxins. It's different types of plastics that they're using. So you
1: feel like that going inside
0: is It's destroying their- people and it's destroying their sperm count. The worst part about that, though, is when a woman, they talk about phthalates, P-T-H-L-A-T-E-S, phthalates. It starts with a P if anyone wants to look it up. This is one of the most detrimental things to our society in general, because women, when they have high levels of phthalates, in utero, when they're trying to have a boy, it's directly affecting the gonads, the penis. When the boy comes out, he's gonna have smaller penis, he's gonna have a lower sperm count, lower testosterone numbers, and they actually did a study, this has been talked about a little bit on some big podcasts, they did it with animals. So they gave the mothers in utero a good amount of these phthalates. Not excessive amounts, the similar to what humans are getting now. And they found that they're giving birth to animals and the hole, the butthole, and, uh, and the penis. Between that area, there's that size. You know, There's so many uh, names for it. But I think many people call it the perineum. Yeah. It's shrinking. So it's actually getting smaller. And they found that the higher level of phthalates in people's blood, women specifically, when they're having the children, the smaller the area. And then those people are having a much greater sexual dysfunction after birth. They're having issues with, am I a boy? Am I a girl? What's going on? They're getting estrogen-related side effects at a very young age, which this is not a natural thing. I mean, people can say, is this intentional? I mean. I don't think so at this point because plastic is just such a a common thing these days, and it's so convenient. You're you're attributing
1: so much to plastics. Aren't there many other things you can attribute it to?
0: There's so much. There's EMF. EMF is electromagnetic frequencies. I mean, we have an abundance of 4G, 5G, Wi-Fi, all this, and they're finding you know people are developing tumors. Women, especially, if they're keeping their phones in their bras or in a pocket, men that have it in their pockets, they're noticing that they're getting. Uh, colon cancer. I mean, it's leading to so much. There's, we're, in, we're in a battle, really, with our environment. And it used to not be like that. Which is why, like, when I see something of where you live, where you're essentially living in a beautiful land, what I do is the same. We grow food. We have our own food supply. It's a uh, well in the ground. We uh, have cows on our property, wild animals that I hunt. I have a pond full of fish. And I just found that it's becoming more and more important to be not necessarily fully off-grid, but to be sustainable for yourself.
1: Fascinating. So when you have someone come to you today with low testosterone, and like you mentioned, you're a health optimization coach, so are you recommending um, testosterone
0: replacement therapy? Are you recommending something else? So what I do is um, a lot of people have found out about us through my company and some of the podcasts we've done, and what they do is they just tell me, I don't feel good. I feel like crap. And I'm like, I'm not sleeping. I'm not putting on muscle, even though I'm going to the gym. But when I go to the gym, I'm tired. They just feel what I call just a general disconnect. But when I really look into it, it's a mental disconnect from the body and a spiritual disconnect. And I talk to them and I can sense it. Maybe I'm like semi-intuitive like yourself. And I just feel it. There's like this tension and they want to let it out onto me. And I'm good that I can like work with it, try to transmute it a little bit. But I start, a lot of times, I really start with my CBD. It's not like I'm trying to sell my product on your show, but I'm just such a believer in it because we have these very fast lifestyles now. And we have this phone that's just sending us information all the time. It's information overload. We are, um, the quote is, we're drowning in information, but we're starving for wisdom. And I feel this. I feel this when I wake up. I don't go on the phone. But when I do, it's like, bombarding you how much information are you getting every time you open up your phone not not even from friends just from an email from social media i mean you have to like really dictate what you allow into your life if you don't if you scroll through instagram or youtube catches your catches your attention catches your attention you just go 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 so there is the intellectual overload there's physical because we're getting all these toxins And then I think people are not really spiritually in tune the way that we used to because we were so connected to our land. We were connected to our tribe. Now we're surrounded by thousands and we're speaking to tens of thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands. So I think there's this general discomfort and people are still enjoying the news, you know, and they're still, they feed off of it. So one thing I use first is my CBD products provided people are over 21. It's something I developed because I was working long hours as a health coach. I mean, very long. And I just wanted to help people. When I The pain that I felt growing up, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? Should I go to school and become a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant? That's what my parents wanted me to do, obviously. And I thought, I just want to help people in the way that I'm comfortable and that I got helped. And fitness and martial arts helped me at a young age, before I even got into college and got addicted to drugs, it was like hard training. Training my body, training my Mm -hmm. mind, got me in a place where I felt sturdy. Like I had a foundation. And it helped me conquer those addictions. So that's the first thing I start with. I see people's fitness levels. Obviously I wanna get people started on a fitness regimen. I wanna get people meditating. I wanna get people doing a lot of things. But the simplest thing is, optimizing your endocannabinoid system. That's something that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. They, they've heard of CBD before, they know about THC, but the endocannabinoid system is this general system that integrates with all of your systems. So your bone density, if you have endocannabinoid deficiency, which can also occur from uh, toxins in the environment, from insufficient nutritional sources, all this stuff, bad water, you just don't feel good. You have higher levels of stress than we're supposed to have as people. So I I promote the products in a way that we don't treat symptoms. So a lot of people go, man, I'm not sleeping tonight. Is your CBD going to help me sleep? And yeah, I can, but I don't tell them that. I say, no, no, we're working with balancing agents. Things to get us back in tune with what we're supposed to be, with our source, with nature, to feel whole again so we can give more to others to be in service to others to feel good about that and as you start
1: um offering this to people you start you see a change oh yeah i mean first like... no i'm sure some of the other things but specifically where you started the low sperm count
0: oh so the or male testes yeah the women's uterus that the cannabinoid receptors are throughout the body and through the research i've done i found that it can improve fertility it's not going to help with testosterone. But I don't go right to testosterone. Testosterone is something that you have to use with a doctor. It's a longer process and you're working with hormones. So it can have long-term effects and you really need to be cautious. CBD, full-spectrum CBD, which has all the active cannabinoids, can give incredible relief and make you feel like a sense of, wow, I'm, I'm where I should be. Now I can conquer the mountains that I want to versus always feeling like doubtful or... Um, Like you're in lack.
1: We're talking about that plus meditation, plus fitness, plus eating better.
0: Right. It's a big picture. It's a holistic picture. But that's something that gets people started. Because, you know, they say the start is what stops people. A lot of times when they have just so much anxiety or pain, and it could be psychosomatic, it could be mental pain that's causing physical pain, we have to, like, clear the system. You know, a lot of people might use something intense, like an ayahuasca, or a psychedelic and just have a mind blowing experience. And I'm all for that. But some people are not ready for that. And this is something that's a base nutrient. I tell people, this is your foundational product. Think of it like an omega-3 fatty acid or magnesium. Don't think of it like I'm buying a supplement or a compound that you're taking all the time. This is a nutrient for your body. Then once they get balanced and they start feeling like, oh man, I'm, I'm back to, this is what it feels like to be a human in the world again. Not someone that's in fear or in pain all the time. Then we start using testosterone. Um, I try to incorporate meditation from the get-go too. This is huge. Breath work.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I saw that.
1: Was there something specific about the 478 breath work you did it the, before we?
0: Uh, it's just one that I've used recently. Got it. Because I like doing holotropic breath work, DMT breath work, ones that get me hyped up in the morning because I find that I can kind of go really far. You can have like a very, almost like an astral projection, far experience with breathing. And I like the challenge. But sometimes when the nervous system is bound up, wound up, I should say, that tones it down. Did you feel like a little difference?
1: I feel different now.
0: It's incredible. And I I felt a little like, man, you had a busy day. I felt, man, I had a long drive. I'm thinking about Friday with my wife. I was like, I had a little tension. I just, that breath work toned it down. Yeah, worked
1: well. Yeah. Yeah, breathing's a pretty cool thing. It's
0: yeah, it's definitely We have to do it, it right? <laughs> I He's heard a right. funny quote. It's like, what if we are all in like a psychedelic journey and we're just alive because this air is giving it to us and then the second we stop breathing, that's when the journey ends. So it's like the air is keeping us high and we're on this trip <laughs> and then you stop and we're like, Oh now it's time to die. <laughs> but it was just a weird quote I heard. Right. Of <laughs> a different way yeah
1: I talk a little bit about your um, specific experience with um, fertility, meaning with the infer- with the infer- infertility and how you went about it. I think a lot of people would be interested okay. in that. It's definitely a topic um, I've been hearing about. My sister is involved in an organization that um, it's a Jewish organization called Boni Elam, which helps uh I think it means building the world, which helps people struggling with infertility. I think traditionally they're using things like IVF, everything else. So, I'd like to get to your story. Was your first child through IVF?
0: Yes. Got it. They said that I could have had a child naturally, but I was 38 at the time and I said, let's not waste any time. The beauty, I studied IVF. Like, I really researched sperm, embryo, egg, the whole thing. And pregnancy is a very complex thing. There's a lot of people that get pregnant initially, the embryo doesn't take. And they don't even know that they were pregnant. And it just comes out. That's nature and God's way of saying this is not going to be a good, healthy pregnancy. So in IVF, let's say you get 15 or let's say 18 eggs, and you can create 15 embryos from that, only five of those might actually be viable. So if you think about that, that's like a one-third chance, like if the sperm hits the embryo, or it hits the egg and forms an embryo there's a greater chance that it's not going to create a baby than it will. You combine that with men having very low sperm counts and low motility. So they're not swimming very far. And that's on the men's side. Women have their whole host of issues that they deal with as well. I'm just speaking from the men's side. Um, We tried doing it naturally for a while. And when I saw that it wasn't happening in a few months, once I saw my sperm count, well, I'll, I'll rewind a little bit before when it was zero. Mm -hmm. It's a horrible feeling. If you actually want to have children, when it's not happening. And it's much more prevalent now because of what we talked about. Um I didn't hear about it very often with my parents' generation. People just had a bunch of kids all the time. It seemed so common like you just do it, you have kids. But they also weren't bombarded with what we are. Um so yeah, it's I had to convince myself, you know what? I don't need a child. And at the time my father was still alive. And there was something about, like, wanting to... My father was, like, such a powerful person in my life. He was a very religious Jew, especially after my grandfather passed. But he had such... uh, He built me up in so many ways, creatively, uh, through sports, through love. I just felt, like, unconditional love all the time. He could be tough when he needed to, but it was just, like... The principles he taught me were so beautiful that... I didn't feel like I owed it to him. I felt like I owed it to myself, my ancestors and God to procreate that our ancestors went through so much, so much more. We're sitting in a beautiful, you know, in a beautiful chair, in a beautiful area, safe. Like what did they go through three, 400 years ago? hundred percent. Whether you're Ashkenazi or Sephardic, like these were were real challenges. You know, we talk about the challenges like, oh, my cell phone's not working right now. Or I dropped it, it cracked, and my baby's crying a little bit. What were the challenges they went through? And I think about that a lot, actually. That's why I like to get in touch with them when I'm meditating, if I'm using a psychedelic compound, whatever it might be. And I try to always express honor and gratitude towards them. So with my father, I always wanted to have a kid. I thought I had the same energy to offer him. And when it wasn't happening, I had to kind of convince myself, maybe I could adopt maybe it's just not meant to be or maybe in 10 years there'll be a technology where you can take a pill and boom and then he had passed and it was unexpected and it hit me like a ton of bricks but I was very deep in my spiritual practice at the time that I was able to connect with him to help him die as his son with dignity and honor I know it's a little bit of the unseen realm but there was very powerful things that happened at the time. And I felt like I owed it to him. I didn't owe it to him, but I wanted him to have this grandson. Because I believe even when we go, we're still in this plane. We're infinite. We go to many different places. We might be in heaven, but there's still part of us that's here with them in the same form, in an energetic frequency. So I thought, let me me see what I can do. Let me go through science first. So I go to, I look up, what do you do when you have low sperm count? And they say you go to these IVF Is low sperm places. count
1: the same as low, as, as low testosterone?
0: No, but they're often interrelated. When people have low testosterone, they generally have low sperm counts. And usually if you have a low sperm count, it's indicative of either high testosterone from steroids, or maybe you stop steroids and now you have very low testosterone. There's an interchangeable relationship based on the hormones and the cycle. I won't get into those details, but yes, there's a direct correlation usually. And I went to this doctor's office, the number one guy in Miami. Everyone recommended him. And I go and I felt like, I told my wife, it felt like I was cattle. I was in a doctor's office and there was just like 20 guys. And next, and you go in, (laughs) you go into the office, they stand there, they talk to you, and they were very aggressive uh, verbally. I didn't get like a good vibe and everything is about your vibe and connection with people, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I didn't take it personal, obviously. He's a doctor. That's what he's meant to do is get to the point. But when there's no love somewhere, there's no growth. So I go there and pull your pants down. Sure. Okay. And then he has his two men interns. Okay. Lift up your penis. Grab the balls. I'm just standing there like, okay, this is interesting. Yeah, they've shrunken from this and this. We're going to have you go in the room. Uh, you're going to ejaculate in a cup and we're going, to te- we're going to test. And I'm like, okay, I don't, why do I care? So I go in there and they like have some old playboys or hustlers, <laughs> something like that. I'm like, this is a very strange experience. It
1: is strange. Yeah. I
0: think experience is how we grow in wisdom. So I'm like, I'm cool with it. You know, I didn't feel uncomfortable. I do my thing and they go, you have like nothing in there. And I was like, okay, so what's the next step? And they're like, we're going to put you on some hormones we're going to take you off test we'll put you on this new nasal test we're going to give you this hormone this hormone this hormone So, all right let's do it so i start taking the hormones and i was a lunatic i was out of my friggin' mind and you're supposed to have fun with it because they're like this is going to boost your sperm have sex as frequently as possible but it bu- it bumps up your estrogen and your testosterone just a little bit it bumps up all these different hormones <laughs> And I don't think they have like a perfect science behind it. So I could be happy and joyous. Then I get in my car and I'm angry. And not because of the traffic of South Florida. Just furious. I like, go, okay, this is a weird emotion. Let me breathe. Then tears start dripping down my face. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> what is going on? What did they give me? And I pushed it for like three months. And I'm calling It's called office. TRT? No, no. This is fertility treatment. This is when you have low sperm. You want So to have what the are vegan. they giving you? Uh, high doses of clomid, clomiphene citrate, and HCG, human chorionic gonadotropin) — And this is what women produce when they're pregnant. But when you take the proper dose, it can increase sperm count. Got it. The doses they prescribed were absurd, insane. And they took me off my testosterone. So I had that drop and they're giving me this. I actually developed like gynecomastia, which is like a hard mass in my chest from the high estrogen. I mean, it was horrible. My sleep was off. Everything was off. And because I had been on testosterone before this, I felt great. I didn't have a sperm count, but my testosterone, I felt unbelievable. So my wife at one point, we're like, man, we're not getting pregnant. And this is becoming like very stressful. There's a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Perform. I'm ovulating. Let's have sex. Negative pregnancy test. Getting her period. These type of things. And this is something I talk about openly, but a lot of men for many years, they didn't want to ever admit this kind of stuff. No,
1: so I'm glad you're so open about it. Yeah, That's why it's I great. like
0: talking about it. Because so many men, it's like giving them hope. Because I have so many people contact me and they're like, I can't have kids and I'm frustrated. And I'm coaching some very big like people, normal people, obviously, but also some like big famous people that just want kids so badly. And um, yes, yeah, so she said, look, if we're meant to have kids, you're not meant to feel like garbage while we're doing this. So let's do something else. And I say, you know what? I got to really like dig deep inside. This like just trusting them with this whole protocol, it doesn't feel right. You, you go with your intuition. Mm-hmm. So the research showed me that like with CBD, I can use some higher doses and it can optimize your reproductive system and your testicular axis, your adrenal. Sorry, do you I'm, have a like...
1: professional training or background or?
0: Oh yeah, I was a strength and conditioning coach for many years from the University of Florida. I trained a lot of Pro athletes CEOs all this, and I loved it, and I still like enjoy the hard training, but I guess, yeah, I have a science background, you could say, yeah, and then it turns into health optimization, it kind of evolves over time, like anyone's career path, but yeah, like it wasn't working, so I said, okay, then twenty twenty hit, boom, everyone's like shut down, no one's going outside, and I said, man, this is a, where I'm gonna grow, everyone's terrified, people are getting not allowed to work." businesses are closing so my wife would get up like at nine and i would get up at like five or six and this gave me like a bunch of hours to like really dig deep so i started meditating and i was taking my cbd and i started trying to visualize what it would be like to have the child the son that i always like wanted to have and then eventually a daughter um how it would feel when my wife told me you're going to be we're pregnant now you know like the immense joy and then thinking about ancestors seeing me Knowing I'm continuing the bloodline Mm and bringing goodness into the world. You know, a change from the darkness I'd experienced growing up. And that's how you must Mm -hmm. have felt with the things you overcame, you know, and then wanting to share it with the world. So, yeah, I said, let me start with that. And I was familiar with psychedelics through ayahuasca ceremonies, through uh, mushrooms. There's so many different ones you can use. And I understood the power of it how it can let you see what isn't typically seen. You know, there's weird ways you can say it makes me smarter, or it makes me more, who knows. I tried not to put a purpose behind it other than let me see like what I need to do and maybe I can connect with my higher power. And the thing was I had like two, three hours every morning and we're all locked down. What can I do? So I developed a, a form of ayahuasca that you can smoke. Now. A lot of people talk about this, they sell kind of stuff like that. I was very specific with how I did it. and Luckily, I used my science background and I extracted really clean ayahuasca vine with chacruna, so it's combining DMT. It's the same way they do it in the Amazon for tens of thousands of years, but I'm doing it in my home with the highest intention and I'm extracting, extracting, and I'm making it smaller and smaller so I can essentially make it a quicker experience. I know about DMT being so fast, but it lacks the uh, the earthly personal feel. Have you have done DMT before?
1: I've done the
0: uh, toad. The... the toad. Yeah. See, I haven't done that, but traditional DMT—it's very out there. It's like outer space yeah, a little bit, I,
1: right? I've spoken to a few people who did it. I wasn't I wasn't pulled towards a toad or that. I did yeah. the toad once, and that's
0: it. So, but ayahuasca is very much about feel. You might not even have visions. But you have a gnosis where you you know something's there. Mm-hmm. Your higher power, you know something. Sometimes you have visions. And it's, it's a very feel. It's a big feel. And I thought, man, like feel is what I'm going for. My intellect is not gonna get me pregnant. I has to it has to be emotional, spiritual, and deep. So anyhow, I would go in my backyard and I would do this like three mornings a week, sometimes four. Intuition, if it told me don't do it at all that week, I wouldn't do it. And I went very far, you know, they call it peeling the onion. And I saw layers of like what's holding me back from getting pregnant. Because I don't think everything is just science. You know, there's a very important spiritual aspect to it. There's an energetic aspect. And I saw it, and there were things with my father that I just I needed to connect with him and talk to him. And I thought he was gonna help me with this. He was gonna open up my gateway, you know, the gateless gate. It would be open to where. Whatever spirit wanted to come into my body in, mm-hmm. the, in my sperm would eventually like form our son with my wife's egg. And I did it for a long time. It was super intense. Some days were very hard, very hard, with fear and demons that I had to overcome.
1: Was there something, um, some examples you can give of things that energetically or spiritually or psychologically that you learned were holding you back from okay. having
0: children? Um so i thought that i had overcome the fear of death this is the thing that chases everyone around right they call it the corpse that we all drag with us everywhere that every move every choice we make in life we do have in the back of our mind that we're gonna die soon it could happen tomorrow and we don't it can know. happen from
1: what we're doing yeah
0: exactly it might happen we don't know and it's this fear that dictates so many of our choices and Through psychedelics and a lot of uh, the programs that I work with people, we challenge ourselves. So I believe in the most intense challenges, physically, mentally, and spiritually. And psychedelics is part of the spiritual aspect. And I thought, man, I must have some fear, like a deep fear that's still there. And I realized, like I never thought I had a fear of death. I was ready to die at any (laughs) time because I felt like I had touched the afterlife. I knew what was there. I just didn't have fear. It's a little hard to explain, Mm -hmm. but when I got married, I realized, wow, I'm leaving. I would be leaving someone behind. You know, if I have a child, I'm going to be leaving a child behind. What if all the choices I made growing up damaged my organs? And like, I have a child, I have a wife, I'm setting them up for success. And then boom, I die. And I
2: was like, wow, so it's not fear for me. It's fear for the people you love. And. It was like a sense of guilt, too.
0: Like, have I not been open about everything in my life? I know we don't have to tell everyone everything. But I think as Jews, we carry a genetic lineage of anxiousness, guilt, victimization that it comes from being attacked for so long. It's funny. I have friends, and like, they don't really—distant friends—but— We've connected on so many levels, but they also think like Jews can be very bad. Not in general, Jews, but that, you know, Jews can control a banking system or control a political thing in this. And I'm not going to go, well, I'm not your friend because I'm a Jew. I like to talk to them about it. I want to understand the opposing mindset. And when it comes down to it, it does fall apart usually. And we realize that's not what's important, this weird bad experience they may have had. But I think as Jews, we've been through so much persecution that we carry genetic trauma deep into our body i see it and that's i think why i deviated from a different path when you grow up in a jewish neighborhood and you go to like hebrew school we're all very similar in many regards you know we've grown up kind of similar we have the same culture at least that's how i felt like in hebrew school for example and with my jewish friends i was like we would have shabbat dinner we talked about the holocaust a lot we would go to temple um Everyone wanted to be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. Like it was very like <laughs> standard operating procedure. And then I started meeting other people from different cultures and religions. And I was like, this is so different. They have their own set of traumas, their own things they're going mm-hmm. through. So I think it was an unseen, even unintellectualized trauma that I had through past experiences, maybe family that passes it down. This is a very real thing. And I thought I have to release these things,
1: right? It would make sense that <clears throat> if you were very traumatized by your great grandfather passing and the, or great-grandmother, then a great grandmother, then great grandfather,
2: that you wouldn't want to do that to someone else. I did not think about that, right? Knowing that at some point
1: you'll die, your parents will die, your grandparents, like all of that, and then that would. Put someone, you're essentially setting someone up for the same experience. Right. And there's nothing you can do about it.
0: So that's one way that I'm raising my son. I'm a big hunter. And I think, I don't hunt because it's fun. I hunt for food. And I hunt because I think this is what we've done for generations. I want to know the food I eat. So when I hunt and I kill an animal, and sometimes the animals are, it's very up close. Sometimes I use a knife with a dog. We catch an animal with, like, a dog finds it, and then I kill the animal by hand.
1: Like what kind of animal?
0: Uh, like a wild hog, usually. That's one thing that you would do with a dog. And it's super intense because the thing wants to kill me. It could be 300 pounds with big tusks, and I've seen people get completely maimed. I know this is a little bit off yeah, topic no, no, now, you know? Yeah, go for it. But when you put a knife through an animal and you hear, I mean, I think it's more humane than a factory farm where these animals are sitting in cages eating their own feces and being thrown genetically modified foods and they have no life. I'm hunting wild animals. They're in nature. And the next thing they know they're dead. So there isn't the level of cortisol and stress in their body. So when I eat that food, I am like, it goes brings me back a thousand years to how we used to eat our food.
1: Not necessarily your Jewish answer. right,
0: Right. Right. Well, I mean, who knows back then what was available? I mean, most likely it was probably chicken and potatoes and right. things like that. But they used to hunt deer mm-hmm. for sure. I mean, is deer kosher? I think it is. I see. I'm just wondering, like, so many years ago, is you probably kosher? had to eat to survive. not sure if deer is kosher. I don't think so.
1: No, it's possible giraffe is kosher. And as as know, One of these animals. Killed the right way. Yeah, they don't quite know how there's one, right. one of those. Maybe it's hard for deer. me
0: to believe, though, that, you know, our ancestors didn't eat some kind of meat that they hunted themselves. I mean, you go back far enough, and a rabbi wasn't necessarily blessing every animal. Am I right?
1: Um, yeah, I'm not sure when it started the process of how uh, Jews killed animals. Yeah, so I don't think no deer is kosher, but there are many animals which are right. A bull is kosher. A what? A bull.
0: A bull is right Cows, if it's bulls, killed yeah. the proper way. Yeah. Right. Well. Either way, whatever we are, I hunt. You know, maybe I don't Chickens keep are. kosher. Chicken? Oh, no, I know you don't keep kosher. Right, right, Yeah, yeah, I'm not... Uh... I live in a very kosher area, or orthodox area, with a lot of kosher food, but I'm just... No, I'm not
1: kosher. challenging you on that. Oh, of course no, not. At all.
0: So... I mean, my whole family did. I'm it like... was just
1: when you said your ancestors' wild hug, I just had to right, say Right, I mean, how that, far no.
0: back, you know what I mean? Like, eventually, they had to hunt for food, even if we're talking 10,000 years. Or... Yeah, anyway, look at it. Right, They had right. to,
1: and even if you had to milk a, a goat. Yeah. You know, there was... Exactly. a process to it that yeah. was very much connected to yeah. the
0: and we drink raw milk so that's like straight out of the cow <laughs> so this is just things to what i'm referring to is like i want my son to be able to see how we've done things forever and not just we go to a grocery store i grab this milk which is pasteurized or i grab this meat that's perfectly packaged like something had to die for that so i want him to see the cycle of life and it's a painful experience for me when i do it i mean. Tears drop down my face. I feel the animal and I give thanks. And I appreciate every bite of that way more. I don't throw that food out. If I'm cutting something up, every piece of the animal gets used. And I think that's a way of honoring the life or understanding death.
1: I've experienced that with fish, catching fish and eating it later that day. And it just, it does taste different.
0: Yeah. And you feel that with fish too. Like something about when you pull it out and you catch it, I mean, It's alive, and then it's gone. You see it dying. Most people don't get to see this kind of thing. We're so disconnected from our natural order. And it's only been, what, like a couple hundred years since the Industrial Revolution and where people live in a city, but all the farming goes on outside the city and it gets transported in. We went off on a bit of a tangent.
1: Yeah, you know what I saw recently is uh, technology in Israel they're developing. And sometimes these videos, you don't even know what's real or not real, so I didn't research it um extensively but it seemed legitimate like watching it and it was genetically modifying chicken eggs so that only female only females would be born from it so that all of the chickens would be able to produce eggs cuz eggs are actually more valuable than chickens
0: wow i didn't hear about this one
1: yeah so you think about the type of food I don't even know how they can do that, but somehow yeah. they're making sure 100 percent of the eggs are female, going that's through this process. Wild. Yeah. So you think about even, I mean, it looks like a chicken that hatched and everything else, but there was some change in the process. So when I was watching it, it made me wonder. They were presenting it as this super cool thing that's great for the environment because the um, roosters are not nearly as valuable, and a lot of them get right. tossed out or killed or whatever else. So here they're making sure that more end up useful. But you wonder what that change is. What did they change that's doing that it seems... You nailed it. Yeah, it's...
0: I mean, look what they did with the mosquitoes down here, the genetically modified mosquitoes. Did you see that? I heard about this. So they're not able to reproduce. So we're like, oh, we'll kill off the mosquito population because mosquitoes are a problem in Florida by genetically modifying mosquitoes so they can't reproduce. And so on and so forth. It goes like down a rabbit hole. But now we do have our first cases of malaria. And we're seeing very weird things and illnesses coming after this was dumped on us. The public didn't have the choice. We didn't say, yes, we want to do this. They just did it. They started in the Keys and now they've worked their way up through Florida, which is, they don't know the after effects of this. I think technology, you know, there's that exponential growth curve of technology. Like everything is happening so fast and I think it needs to be slower. I had some dreams about AI the other day and I was like, not like Terminator 2 AI, but like what it's doing to our society, everything.
1: Are you concerned about it?
0: I am. Very much so. I think it's destroying creativity. I think people are enjoying it right now. And I had friends in similar businesses, and they're like, I don't have to do any writing anymore. I just put in a few words. And it writes this perfect thing, and everyone sees it on social media. And I'm like, but does it have soul? Does it come from your heart? Because it doesn't matter because I don't want to spend time doing it. And I think that's the difference between someone that cares about the product. Sometimes people are just overwhelmed with business, and I totally get it. But this is the most superficial level we're getting at, where you can make some designs with artificial intelligence. What's going to happen down the road? Infinite. I mean, this could be a massive problem if we let it happen too quickly, and that's what's going to happen. What do you think?
2: I'm not
1: sure, you know, from a business standpoint, obviously with efficiency and productivity, so some of that's nice. Um, I once used a uh, chat GPT to write a, um, to write a letter to my wife and I prompted it and it took, you know, 10 different versions before I was like, hey, make it more casual, put a little humor inside. I was just kind of curious and it shared something, but it I, I would never do that again. Like I ended up with something I shared it with her. She's like, oh, that's so nice. But it felt flat from me, and I doubt it hit the same spot for her. I didn't tell her it was from JATCPT. Oh, it was, just...
0: it was like your own personal experiment? Or you were like, I need to write or something? Which one was it? I knew it? I had to
1: write something, and I yeah. said, hey, is this one way to do it? So I, I wrote something up, and I said, hey, write a letter to my wife, and this is what I'm feeling. This is what I want to put inside. And then wrote something up. And I said, well, I don't like that word. Can you remove any of this word? And rewrite it. Oh, cool. And then I said, like, okay, a little bit too formal. Can you make it a little less formal? And maybe added a joke or two, right? And after a few, hours, I was like, "Okay, I'm comfortable with it," and I sent it. But it definitely didn't have the feel. Um, you know, my uh, one of my brothers is uh, getting engaged soon, and I can say that because this podcast will probably come out after <laughs> that happens. You know, and he was uh, he was talking to me, and he said, "How did you?" Um, he's like, "How did you propose?" So you know, it kind of brought me back to how I proposed, and it was. I'll share the story a little bit. Yeah, I want Um, to hear this. So my wife and I were once going through an airport, and she had this, before we were married, she had this, um, it was a clutch, I forget the designer's name, uh, fairly expensive, and it had a, like, four, like you put your fingers through it, and it had different designs, like a skull or something else on it. And we're going through TSA, they said, oh, that looks like brass knuckles. I'm like, come on! Like, look at this. Yeah. Look at this thing. You know, it was Alexander McQueen or something. So, um, she had it from before, from before I met her, and we went back and forth. And there was no way, there was no way to make the flight and take the, um, and take the bag. So we kind of had to choose between the two. And we said, you know, we're just gonna leave the,
3: yeah,
1: bag. So afterwards, I went to look it up. She was, you know, a little beat up about it. So I said, okay, maybe I'll get her one. We were dating at the time. And I was like, wow, these things are expensive. You know, I, <laughs> I didn't realize what yeah. these, these bags cost. So I was like, all right, let it go. I'm not going to get it. Anyway, so that's one part of the story. Separately, um, I once wrote her a poem. We had been together, broke up, got back together. And I wrote something in a poem. And in it, I had the word something like, I let go to improve my clutch. Right, meaning I stepped away from the relationship in order to, you know, to yeah. come back stronger. So it was a part of my recovery from addiction and everything else. So I thought, hey, you know, something that would be neat would be let me get that clutch. And it was a few years later. It was out of design. I had to f- whatever. Yeah, it took me work. I know the work that, yeah. that kind of thing goes. So I went. I got the got the clutch, um, and I took that poem that I had written when we got together at one point. Could have been. Like we we went through a lot of ups and downs in our relationship, and I, um, I took the poem and I added a sentence in it, and it was something like, "This clutch was taken by TSA. Stuff will come and go away, but um, my clutch will never. This time it's forever." Right? Boom. So I put I put that in the um, clutch and I gave it to her as a gift. That's what I proposed. Right so just thinking about yeah this you know so I shared this with my with my little brother going into his um you know when he was thinking about his engagement I was thinking I could have probably had AI write something a uh, pretty cool but I wouldn't have remembered it number one and it wouldn't have come from me it wouldn't have been memorable right. it wouldn't have all those things so what you're talking about I certainly see that I certainly see that aspect of it that uh, but that's that's a personal you know, that's a personal use thing, right? Don't do a date on a Zoom call. Don't kill Zoom just because you shouldn't do a date on a Zoom call. I yeah. think there's a lot of use cases.
0: Oh, for sure. I, for, I
1: don't know. I don't feel as nervous about it. Yeah. I think that for the most part, um, with these tools, it's allowed people to be more productive, produce more, and in that way, produce, if anything, more jobs. So, I like, I'm not... I'm not super, super nervous about it from, from that perspective. Meaning there were a lot of jobs that once existed that no longer did.
3: Right.
1: Sewing clothing. And also, oh, here's a sewing machine or here are these, I don't even know how they make clothes today. I, you know, right. it's not sewing machines. It's way past sewing machines. It's right. just produced by machines completely. You know, maybe an operator, but still they found jobs for the creating, the management, the tracking, like all sorts of things. And You know, And it's it's worked, but maybe this is something that, I know what I do know is that a lot of very smart people are very worried about it.
0: What I see is, like for example, with cryptocurrency, I was like a, not very early adopter, that would have been amazing, but I was (laughs) a pretty early adopter, I think it was 2014. And I was like, wow, this could be the future of money. But I didn't see a downside to it, that was the thing. And in its initial phases, it was so rough. Like I had to take care of all my own security. and I had so much stolen in those initial days. Like we didn't have uh, where you can store it on a device, not on a device, but security with a device. Like ledgers and all that type of stuff. You had to kind of store it on a wallet. And hackers could get through that very easily. So I had lost absurd amounts of money from hacking that you just don't get back. And I was like, wow, it's so rough in its infancy. And it's getting better and better and better. I just didn't see like it's not taking jobs. I just saw it as something that coincides with our traditional way of managing money, of sending money. Because we still have the Swift system. We still have cryptocurrency. Everyone can develop their own version of it. With AI, it seems like it is going to take over so much stuff. I'm not worried about it personally. But I just... There is something about like artisan, handcrafted, that I appreciate. Maybe it's like just an old school thing.
1: Right. And I don't think that'll,
0: it'll have a place, right? I mean, it I has th- to do. It,
1: yeah. I think, you know, you can, um, I'm, I'm passionate about healing. For example, um, you can get the most brilliant AI tool, you know, from, let's say from a therapy standpoint, I imagine you can start chatting with it and it can give you prompts and go back and forth. It can maybe eventually they'll create human lookalikes, but I don't know if there's any replacement for sitting with another human being What about when this was gone.
0: Like I had seen, someone sent me a clip from Post Malone. I've never, really, I've never listened to him, but he's saying in four years, I'm going to be out of a job, that AI created a song with him, his voice, everything. And people say it's like almost better than his own music. <laughs> right. And this is in its infancy. He's like, I need to like cash out soon because it's going to be gone. And I think it was on Joe Rogan. He's like, no, no, no. People want to know it comes from you even if it's they're buying it on iTunes or whatever it is they want to know that you produced it versus the computer AI
1: right i think it's something to that i mean you, you know you wonder if theoretically speaking right could i create a novelist that can be as famous and good and uh, widely read as i don't know some famous author like could that happen and if that could then maybe we have something to to worry about it meaning
0: no i totally understand
1: yeah you know it just can I mean the average person does not necessarily know right they're reading a a novel from whoever it is right okay john steinbeck i'm reading something right so okay great you read another story but do we know who that is so now we just create another character and here's a you know a guy who produces novels and producing sound it's an ai yeah i did see um an ai of uh a woman, all AI created, not a woman, just an AI tool, but looks like a, a pretty woman and she's clearly fake. Yeah. Oh, um, she's
0: fake. When you look at it, you know, it's fake.
1: I don't know if everyone does. I wonder, cause a lot of people look fake also now. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: my God. But,
1: but she's a lot of fans and a lot of communication and things like that. So I guess time will tell where this will, where, yeah. where it'll go. I don't feel nervous about it. Is all I'm saying.
0: Yeah. I guess I'm not nervous. I just, I shouldn't have as much of an opinion on it. I shouldn't be, like, just people ask me, and I'm like, I, I try to think about the long-term consequences of it, and who knows, you know, especially when you see what's going on between countries and geopolitics now, like, is it going to get misused somehow? But who knows, right? right. I and mean, we don't we can't read the future, so. You
1: no, know, maybe it could be messianic in some way, right, where we have everything. We already have some things, for example, you know, I think when we were kids, uh, growing up, the weekly runs to the grocery store, right? Like, that was a, a thing.
0: You didn't appreciate it at the time either, right?
1: No, it was, no, but it was a thing. Yeah, you know, sometimes yeah. we went with my mom, sometimes we didn't, but it was something that happened. And then, you know, obviously, you know, something, hey, we got to run out and buy a quick bottle of milk. But once a week, my mom and a few of us would all go to the mm-hmm. the grocery store. And now it's just Instacart, Instacart, you know, it just... Yeah kind of shows up at your doorstep. But in terms of that, I think is a positive, right? The fact that it just makes us more productive, efficient. Yeah. more efficient, and productive. And could we get to a a time where we're even more efficient and productive? And could that be messianic in some way where we have all our needs met with, with very little? The question is how people would have money, what jobs people would be producing. I don't know,
0: but... One of my favorite philosophers his name is terence mckenna you're mm-hmm. familiar yeah yeah you know he puts so much credence behind this concept of the felt presence of direct experience that's what he called it he said you can read every book you can talk about god all day long but until you die or somehow you have an experience to meet god what is it it's all like uh, and when when we talk about that i think like i like going to the grocery store like taking my son, seeing the colors, smelling the different foods seems like this is a new thing I've never seen before, and being able to touch it. It's like an experience versus me just sitting in my house. So I think. I, I get what you're saying, but I
1: got three young kids, and. If really.
0: You seem so young. Maybe <laughs> there's like no gray hair yet. Yeah, just chilled. You're doing something right. Yeah, just
1: hanging out here. and Yeah. What's today? Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. Where are they? Yeah. Where are they?
0: Yeah, not not here.
1: So I got a place in Miami. Uh, I always that... know
0: where my kid is because he's yelling at me or something. So,
1: <laughs> oh, actually, now they're in New York. Why did I even say that? They're up in New York for the summer. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, no, i get not get back. that. I'm anyway, sorry. so where was I? Oh, so I'm saying for it's nice that yes, you like to go to the grocery store, but that's different than my wife having to go to the grocery oh, store every yeah, yeah. time she needs something. Oh else. yeah, we do both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. So Amazon
0: is a freaking blessing
1: yeah there's something messianic about it yeah. that if you think of someone very wealthy a hundred years ago does not have the quality of life that a regular person has has today that's what i so potentially a i can create a messianic state on the other hand, just like everything else you know has the internet been amazing? I think so It's a lot of cool things that your business my business that we can do with internet but has it also created internet pornography and a generation of men who gotta yeah. learn how to be men and it's not coming at us yeah that's
0: use and misuse it's true right? well everything's use yeah, yeah and misuse. But these are powerful yeah. tools yeah and this for sure. is another thing they need to teach in schools we're going back to school i mean we can't just block our kids from doing things they're gonna have to experience it eventually right the other thing is is that
1: I'm sure that every generation has dealt with this. Oh, the TV is going to be a disaster, and this is going to be a disaster. It's we, so far apart, though, right? That's the thing. true. But we can have opinions about it. But it's happening anyway. Yeah. So you can you can sit and criticize AI for for the next ten years, and it's still coming.
0: Oh yeah. I just think like as a man or as a human, I just like the challenge. The challenge. I could totally just sit on my couch all day. You know that would be so peaceful, and not even like. I could work, I could watch TV, I could spend time with my kids, but there's something about just getting up and like doing things with my hands. I was like doing that. Yeah. Which we I mean,
1: can still do. There's a balance to everything. And I think that some of that is coming yeah. out more and more. I think you're probably seeing more people interested in what you what you offer than than right. previously.
0: You know, oh absolutely. I mean it's helped grow my business and it's helped my marketing teams like substantially. They used to uh, like send out emails and I'm just a perfectionist and health-related emails based on the topics I gave him and the writings I've done. I've written a lot of stuff and sometimes it just wasn't... I need to spend more time revising it than they did like making it. Right. But now with AI, I'm noticing like, wow, this is pretty darn good. Like (laughs) it's ready to go almost, you know? So it's definitely helpful. Right.
1: There are some productivity things. I don't use it too much, for example, with the podcast. Like I saw some things um, it did, we tried Hey, let's see if it can create certain stuff. I'm just, no, I'd
0: rather my pretty own. soon. It will though. Well, I mean, maybe pretty soon. Yeah, maybe. But I mean, we were even, I think this all stemmed from, we were talking about the fertility, like the whole experience. I'm sure there's going to be a way for us to not lab grown babies. Cause that's a new thing. I'm sure you, did you hear about oh, that? Which is good. I don't know where you can create an embryo in a lab. Now that means you don't need a male sperm. You don't need female egg. They can literally create a life. This is the early stages. They have the DNA to create a human and just put it in a woman to grow, which that's pretty crazy to me. And AI might actually be able to help with men that have infertility. But do you
1: need a woman to grow it?
3: Who
0: knows?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. we'll see where it goes, but you know, there's stuff coming. So yeah, just uh, roll with it. Right. Yeah. And I think make the most of it, you know, I think even within the, um, you know, I grew up Orthodox and there were different, um, kind of opinions within the Hasidic movement of how to deal with technologies that are coming our way. And a lot of them said, hey, let's let's hide in a ghetto, stay as far away from this as possible and avoid it completely. And, you know, growing up Chabad, the Rebbe had a completely different take. Yeah. You know, I had a, a tour recently of his um, uh, office and study room and like different area in his, that he, the, the building that he, did most of his talks out of in the 70s 60s 70s 80s early 90s and they had set up this whole switchboard you know with uh um communicating his talks or like use it basically what he said was instead of running from the technology i'm going going to embrace it to um to get the message out to more people Mm. so where a lot of rabbis were saying shut off the tvs He was saying, let's get our message on TV. Interesting. i never heard this. Yeah. So he was a big proponent of utilizing what's there for, I mean, the way way I've read in his books is that, you know, obviously everything is from God. And if a new tool merges in the world, then, you know, everything in the world is created for the glory of God. So how do we use this tool for that? And the fact that it could be misused, yeah, sure it could be misused. But there's some pretty cool things. I mean even this, right? This is yeah. this is pretty neat. How did I how did I meet you without the internet and how are we gonna get this talk out through the internet, yeah. right? So there's a lot of cool stuff. But as someone who, you know, paid the heavy price of internet pornography and I got addicted to it, you know, in the nineties, I got addicted to porn.
0: Like from the old AOL Ex- days. Exactly, chat right. Chat rooms.
1: So we'll dial up internet more. Yeah. Right, so.
0: And sharing with friends. Before smartphones. Yeah, oh and th- yeah. And
1: I think all the time, like man, I got addicted in that world. Imagine what teenagers are dealing with today it wasn't that easy back then that, then no was work yeah. the whole house had to be asleep i grew up in a big family and oh, i had to I be know. you know sitting there on the computer and if i hear footsteps i'm running somewhere turn and, it off close the chat room <laughs> yeah.
0: save it on a floppy yeah. disk
1: somewhere when i have floppy disks. i used to use whatever hit it folders on the computer oh, and bury yeah, it like yeah, eight yeah. folders deep whatever you know the the pictures i was saving and stuff like that and um i'm thinking today kid has an iphone yeah Go to the bathroom, and you can download whatever you want. And even if you try to block it, it's coming at you. Yeah. You know, I had to jump through hoops to get porn, and I got addicted. And now you got to jump through hoops to avoid porn. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I'm I'm recognizing the power and the of these tools and the devastation they can create. But at the same time, saying there's something in there as well that could be used for the positive, and it's coming anyway. So let's figure out.
0: Oh, for sure. That's fair. I was out. talking about fear earlier. It's not something we should fear, and it's not something we want to put in your family or in your conscious thought, right? Right. So I, I know we were talking about the fertility thing. Right. No,
1: I how think it finished. I wanted to ask you how um it's it's unusual for for me to see someone speak this comfortably around an issue like this.
2: So I'm curious how you how you got there. I noticed In high school, I had gotten very successful
0: being an open book. Like, I had um, a lot of fear of public speaking, of talking to girls. I just felt like scared, just scared of a lot of things. And I think cannabis and psychedelics was one thing that opened me up. And I was like, I'm seeing things, realms of unimaginable or Incredible worlds of beauty and possibilities that I didn't know existed. My world was so small at the time. And I don't tell people you need to go do psychedelics to get a new world view, especially if you're under 18, but because the brain's developing, you know, I mean, really till 25. That's what they say, you know, but I I don't think it's very harmful. I did ayahuasca ceremonies, and there was a kid that was 12, and his grandfather was there, he was in his 60s. And in the Amazon, this is they treat a lot of depression with ayahuasca right. for young kids, and they know something
3: you know,
1: yeah, I mean, I've said it before on uh the discussions that I kind of put ayahuasca in a category um all its own, yeah, so i i meaning saying something about ayahuasca is not the same as saying something about l s d or even mushrooms, yeah, like it feels to me, not it feels to me all of those um you know, even though I, I I recognize psilocybin as a, a plant that many people use in very sacred ways, I also see recreational misuse of it. Mm-hmm. And with ayahuasca, I you just don't. I I just don't know of it.
0: Plus, the dimethyltryptamine is something we produce anyway, right? So it's in a sense it's like doing anabolic steroids, which are not natural to the human body, versus doing testosterone replacement therapy. We already produce testosterone. We don't produce those steroids, so it's much healthier for you, right? But Meaning, so there is, when you're given an
1: example of a 12-year-old kid in an ayahuasca ceremony, uh, to me is a little bit different than talking about general psychedelics at, yeah. a, uh, yeah. at that age.
0: And doing things in a sacred manner, ceremonially. Oh, yeah, it's co- completely different. Yeah, that's the only way I do things now. Yeah. It's the only way to do things, in my opinion.
1: I mean, think about, you know, in, um, within Judaism, right, you have every, every Sabbath there's, there's wine, and kids are drinking a small amount of wine. Right. And... I I would I would bet that that um creates less of the potential for alcoholism and alcohol related problems than than more. Just seeing that yeah, there's no question. It's 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 a it's a substance right that can make us make bad decisions. But at the same point in time, it's one that we can also sit with ceremonially and have a little bit and put it away and be okay, okay and have a nice family meal.
0: It's right. not. That's so why I want to teach my kids yeah. about all these experiences, not have to ex- explore on your own and hide behind your, you know, what your parents told you is right and wrong. I want him to make all the own all the decisions of his own, which is a weird thing to let them explore. You know, you want to protect them, but there's ways to do both. Is what I'm starting to learn as a new parent. Good luck so with that. that. Yeah, <laughs> my wife's like super on board with all this, and she's amazing with it. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I guess
3: you would ask is
1: is there yeah I was kind of wondering how you got comfortable and you said that as a teenager you just recognized that being open has was working for you
0: yeah in everything like everything I did I mean I would say F it you know if I had a fear about something F it that was like my motto at the time (laughs) dive in like do what makes you uncomfortable and I know that helped me grow as a man in everything whether it was public speaking whether it was I used to fight a lot and uh I was a very like violent kid. I thought it was, this was just what we did growing up. I don't know what it was. If it was the culture at the time. And there was always multiple people or a bigger guy. And it was like, I'm not going to pick on someone smaller than me. And I'm not going to start a fight. These were like rules. Like, I, I don't know why. That was just like the warrior mindset I had. It was, you always have to like put yourself in the shit as we would say. And it. like let me go. What's the worst that can happen? That in that sense, bad things could happen. Right, bad but in most happen. situations, you know, having courage, nature rewards courage. That's another thing Terence McKenna said. He said something along the lines of like using your imagination and understanding that nature rewards courage. You dive into the abyss in total fear and end up realizing it's a bed of feathers. Something along those lines, not verbatim. And I just found it to be very true. So I thought, why don't I just speak truth? What do I have to hold back? What do I have to hide from the world? Let me help people. I've always wanted to help people and maybe being an open book is going to do it. I can't see it harming people. The only person that's going to make uncomfortable is me and I thrive in uncomfortable situations and the feedback has just been mind-blowing. You know, from women too that tell me like, my husband doesn't want to talk about it. He's embarrassed or just men going like, what do I do? I want a little kid running around in my life and now I'm 40 and it's like not happening. So there wasn't any real intention behind it, just to help people out and just be honest.
1: Yeah. You mentioned a fear of public speaking
0: when I was younger, when I was younger, I mean for I a long that. time. And now it's like, I, I love it. If I get the mm-hmm. opportunity a lot, one of the last like big times was at my father's funeral and it was so many people. And I was just destroyed. Because, you know, in Judaism, it's like the next day. You don't get time to think about it. And, like, there was something about it. You know, like, the rest of my family had written their speeches or they put it on their phones and they said it. And I said, man, I'm just going to speak from the heart and I'm going to look into the souls of every person. I had an ayahuasca experience that was so intense in 2012, 2011, where I had died and I went into the ground in my own funeral and somehow I could see everyone at my funeral and there was tens of, everyone I had ever met in the world till that day was at this funeral. So there was maybe a janitor or a lunch lady, there was the pool guy, my great grandparents, everyone, every friend that I had a basic interaction with and I was seeing it even though my body was like in the ground and the next thing I know, I was in all their heads, every single one of them. And I could hear or know what they thought about me from beginning to end, from the first experience to how I died. And it was just so profound. Like if you wanna talk about looking mm-hmm. in the mirror and facing your soul and the evils you have done or the dark things you hide from yourself or from other people, or maybe if I've done a wrong to someone, I'm sure I have. And you want to look in the mirror, and I try to do that a lot with meditation, to be a better person. And not to be a better person, just to understand and how I can be a better man, I guess. I, I don't know. I'll come up with the words. But at that funeral, I thought, I want to like see who's here, and I want to touch them. I want to talk to them about my father and let them know who he was to me and feel who they were, who he was to them. And I just remember doing that. I felt so as good as you can feel after at a funeral but i had people come up to me they're like can you speak at my funeral (laughs) like they wanted to be it was so funny you
1: you went through so you're talking about an ayahuasca experience then you went to talking at your dad's funeral
0: right i think the ayahuasca experience where i died it told me how i don't know it gave me the incentive not the incentive but the drive to speak at my father's funeral just so intense from the heart and the soul
1: oh understood i got it okay
0: right Fine. And it was like a strange parallel. And when I did it, I just...
1: As I, opposed to reading a speech?
0: Yeah, which would have been convenient. Yeah.
1: At that point in time, did you have a fear of speaking? Yes. When you got up to at yeah. to Dad's funeral? You know?
3: And
0: I just didn't care.
1: Right. I think the single most important decision I made as an adult was to speak, even though I was afraid. If I look at my life today how different it was, I had this intense, incredibly intense fear of speaking. I can't tell you how, how intense it was, nuts. Really? I had a business, I couldn't speak in front of my employees. If more than a few people were in the room, how I couldn't. How many
0: people? Like more than three or four?
1: Yeah, I was done. If I was uh, at a dinner, seven, eight people, I couldn't. Really? I couldn't do it. I could have conversations, I could do business meetings, you know, and sit down with a few people, that was fine. But once it felt like I was talking, everyone was silent, was it all because you thought me.
0: they were judging you? Um or you just had so much anxiety. What tons of anxiety. I think a
1: lot of it was it's like all of that attention brought up emotion and I was afraid of the emotion. I didn't know what happened when there was so much emotion inside me that it coming up just felt like felt like more than I can it's I everything. can handle. I didn't know what yeah. I would I didn't know what I would do with it. And at some point I said, I'm I'm getting over this fear. And what did you and, do? Well, twelve step meetings helped me a lot because going there and I remember a bunch of times just being so afraid, you know, sometimes they'd go in a circle. Oh, I thought you were saying you went
0: to 12 step meetings for public. No, no, no. I I understand now. I'm sorry. No. So
1: that's, that helped a little bit, but it wasn't the same yet. After a certain point in time, I mean, I had a strong fear there, but after a certain point in time, um, I got more and more comfortable in that setting, but I still wasn't comfortable in, Mm -hmm. in other settings. Then there was a school I was involved in, in Brooklyn. Um, and, uh, one year it was charity dinner and at the charity dinner, the founder says to me, um, do you want to get up and speak? And I said, no, 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 no. And afterwards as the speeches were going, I was like, man, I missed an opportunity. Like, why did I,
0: why did I let that pass? You got that too, huh? What? When you have the opportunity and you don't take it and you just like kick yourself in the ass on the way home or you're like, you're in, I would like be in the bathroom and look in the mirror and be like, why are you, why did you do that? Right. Why are you such a puss? Like, you're so tough. You can go fight <laughs> someone, but you can't speak in front of a crowd. I wouldn't be hard on myself, but I was like, I thought I missed an opportunity, like you yeah. said.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I was, when I was watching the speeches and other people talking, I'm like, why can't I do this? Like, why is this something that I can't do? Right. That's crazy. So the next year, for the charity dinner, about a month before, the head of the school emailed me and said, Hey, I'd love to, uh, have you speak this year at the charity dinner talk about why you support the school and things like that and i said you know what? i'm gonna do it and i wrote a speech and um yeah i worked on it a lot remember that when i came up there were two three hundred people in the audience i can't tell you how nervous i was so freaking nervous my mom was worried about was worried for me to get up yeah she was encouraging me to drink alcohol so i calmed down <laughs> You know, and I don't remember if I did or didn't, but I remember not wanting to because thinking I didn't want to yeah. be thrown off. And when I got up there, there were two ter- like two twitches that developed while I was on stage in really? front of the audience. And I was reading the speech and I kept doing this with my hand and my right leg kept kicking upwards, just involuntarily. It was messing with you big time. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just okay, I'm getting through this, I'm getting through this, I'm getting through this. And, you know, during it I what I did was um okay kind of the hack I used was to talk about it. So I spoke about the fact that I was nervous. I spoke about the fact that I had a fear of public speaking. So instead of this being this thing that was uncomfortable for me in the audience, I shared that I somehow connected my support of the school to my fear of public speaking and me getting up and talking despite the fear of public speaking. And after that, I knew I never wanted to read a speech again. And I hired a coach, speaking coach, Rosh Lowe. And then from there, I went to uh, sharing my story of being sexually abused and eventually meeting with my with the guy who abused me and having a reconciliation type of meeting. And that started a whole path, which led to this and the TED Talk on porn addiction. But it was so much more than that. Yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't be married to the same person. I wouldn't be living in the same house. I wouldn't. I don't know which part of my life would be the same if I didn't make that decision to speak, even though I was afraid of it.
0: Just opens doors, huh? When you face a fear like that,
1: you know when you were talking about fear, you went running right towards it. It reminded me of a friend of mine who says, "When I'm afraid of something, fear means enter." Like he's like, I, I like sp- that. Train myself to see fear as just like to enter. The point, just go, right? Go it's right So much there. easier if you're that afraid of something, and it's kind of true, kind of true in some way. I mean, you know, don't walk in front of a highway, right? But when it's an, um. Irrational fear. Like, what am I so
0: afraid? What is this thing I'm so afraid of? I can't tell you how many people I work with that have uh, fear of talking to girls. Like, guys. I mean, I have friends that were like afraid to call a restaurant to book a reservation. Like, people. This is a younger person. They're so used to going click, 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 tap, 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 send. You know, they just want to book something online. They like to call and ask for something. Is like nerve wracking to
1: them. Yeah, I had this fear. It was kind of weird. So. In most settings, I was afraid to approach women, and the only time I would would be more in a club or a bar, right. and it would always be this silly kind of macho this personality I didn't like at all that would come out, um, and I was like, "Wow, I can't!" It just felt so uncomfortable to be authentic me approaching a a um, girl for a long time into my twenties, and I hired this That's guy. Most
0: people, I think. yeah, yeah, most guys terrified.
1: Yeah, so I was I saw. Obviously I was nervous about I was nervous about it in general. I grew up in an environment where this didn't happen. I had some self esteem issues and other stuff. Right. But eventually I got comfortable, but only in certain settings. With so, booze around. And so like, even if there wasn't booze, but I would do silly things, you know. Yeah. And sometimes bold, you know, if there was a, a group of five or six girls sitting at a table and an empty chair, I'd sit in the chair and say, Um, you know, sorry I'm late, traffic was a bitch,
0: right? I saw that uh, <laughs> yeah. online, but that's that's pretty clever, to be honest.
1: Right, so like stuff like that, but that's a very More specific... Yeah, that wasn't me, hi, I'd like to get to yeah. know you. You know, they're just... It was It was silly. And I didn't like that aspect of me either. So it was this fake personality I made up that I didn't like, that I used to approach, and I felt like, I, how do I backtrack from that uh, yeah. normal dude? And I actually um, hired a guy for the sole purpose. It was funny because I was in recovery. I was in recovery for sex addiction, And I cheered this thing with my sponsor. And uh, he's like, what do you want to do about it? And I said, just tell me if you're cool uh, with it. And uh, he okayed it at the time. I don't live that way today. But he okayed it at the time. And I hired a guy and literally approached women for two days. Filmed every interaction from 8 in the morning till 12 at night. Filmed every single interaction until I finally got to the place that I was... um, at the end of two days, just more comfortable with bringing out that aspect of, of, um, my personality. And it wasn't, it wasn't something, it wasn't, it hadn't like the agreement. I'm not going to date anyone from it. I wasn't anywhere. It was just to get
0: over that, that discomfort. You're putting in repetitions and it was more than fears. This is an amazing thing.
1: It was, it was more, more so, I mean, he was filming it. Right. And then after each one, he'd say, okay, look at that. Look at right. this. Look at you know, use that silly joke again. You didn't make the eye, the eye contact you wanted yeah. to and just get to that point. And that's what it was. It wasn't, it wasn't, I didn't hire a guy who was teaching me tricks like pickup game. It was really about being able to walk over to someone and express authentic interest without any of the masks. Mm. Like, hey, is there something that intrigued you about that person? Then just walk over and say what it was in just this natural, normal way without.
0: You constantly made the decision to, like, attack this problem. Yeah. I mean, gosh, people should do this more frequently, you know? They just wither away into problems.
1: Right, think we've got to own it. You know, yeah. it's so hard to say. It's, it, it took me a long time to admit, for example, that I had a low self-esteem. You know, and at some some point, it was yeah. I just have a low self image of myself and how it happened and why it happened. It didn't matter, but that was that was something that bugged me and to say that and then address it and say, hey, I have right. a fear of approaching women. And say, okay, in certain settings, right? And okay, this is let me let me quantify it, let me qualify it, let me understand it, and then work on it. Yeah, I think it's uh, fear means open. Very
0: mathematical like in that sense too, right? Like address a problem, you find the solution in certain ways through certain pathways. Eliminate the hurdles essentially?
1: Yeah, some of that is, I recognize it's a gift that I have available to me because of resources that, yes, it allows me to go and hire someone for two days and to, right. to be able to do that. Um, but the, the theory is the same. You know, a lot of my healing came through the 12 steps. And it's just, if I have this issue, find someone who's either had the same issue and overcome it or promotes themselves to someone who can heal who can fix this Mm -hmm. who does fix this and you know has good refer has good uh and get good recommendations and just go for it what is it if there's someone who has the job of helping someone do this that means i'm not the only one who's struggling with this problem
3: if there's infertility doctors for men
1: then you're not the only guy who's struggling with infertility if there's porn addiction recovery rooms and meetings and nofap communities online then you're not the only dude who's struggling with watching pornography yeah. too much. Get over yourself and get the problems. help. It's a problem,
0: just most people don't admit it. You know? mm-hmm. It's funny you mentioned public speaking because the re- there was a study, I believe two years ago, on CBD with public speaking. Like a legitimate study mm-hmm. and they found that like they were able to decrease anxiety and allow people to have a massive success rate with public speaking through the use of CBD products. Not like another. You know uh, shout out to my brand, but that was just a cool thing that made me think about it. I never thought to talk discuss public speaking right. But it's cool that you overcame that, and it led to so many more possibilities for you in life.
1: yeah, and I think my fear was it definitely was completely irrational and very disproportionate to um other things in my life meaning i if if there was a room of twenty people, I'm pretty sure I had the biggest fear of public speaking at least that's why I felt. But isn't that the most
0: common fear? It is, but
1: I'm pretty sure mine was Yours just was that a different... Uh, yeah, it was... It, that's what. It, that's the way it felt to me. Yeah. It was just completely, completely, completely um, consuming.
3: Mm.
0: Do you meditate frequently?
1: Do I meditate frequently? of like a practice. I practice? I do a lot of things to center. Okay. Prior to having kids, I meditated regularly. I do a lot of things to center. So can be a meditation, it can be not. So whether it's ice bath or rape, which we mentioned. Yeah. Or breath work, or listening to music. Oftentimes, I'll do that. Right. Um, And sometimes I'll do guided meditations or meditation like that. But I'm constantly checking in with where I'm at, and using some tool or another to to center.
0: Mm. Yeah, I like it as like a a mental challenge. It's probably like one of the intellectual challenges where we're sitting there meditating and thoughts come up, and we have to address the fact that we're thinking just saying oh that's a thought and coming back it's like putting in the hard work i mean if i ask people to sit on a cushion for 20 minutes and when thoughts arise acknowledge them but come back to your breath it is they say it's one of the most difficult things in some it people, is. right it is like what well, seems like the easiest thing but it might be the hardest thing you could possibly do like in terms of actual difficulty level so i like to use that a lot in hard physical training and then Spiritual work, like we were discussing. So like, I like to push my clients as far as possible, like to the most intense discomfort zone they can have. And then you heal from it. Not heal from it, but you're pushing the boundaries of those categories. And then we use immense tools to get back to a relaxed, rejuvenative state. It's like I'll use CBD or Rape or Ice Bass, things like that, to balance. So it's like this amazing flow of extreme versus extreme peace and recovery. And then we find ourselves, that's how I found balance personally. That's what I do with a lot right. of people. I encourage a lot of people to do martial arts. I train like extensively, very hard. But if it's not martial arts, like gym programs, things like that, I think our community like really needs this type of stuff.
1: Saying the Jewish community. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely eat too much. I used to have like
0: almost an embarrassment when people, when I would tell people, like when I was in an area where it wasn't a big jewish population like where my farm is for example i had some friends come over and i don't feel this way anymore and i said okay well i know you guys celebrate christmas but it's hanukkah and we love to have you over to celebrate hanukkah and they're like what is that so i brought them over and i showed them the menorah we i prayed in hebrew and i gave them like the explanation of what it meant and they were like wow this is really beautiful we're so appreciative of what you did But I used to be embarrassed because, like, the men that I was friends with that were Jewish were not like men I respected as being a man. I respected them as like getting a lot of. Maybe their parents just took care of everything for them. They never addressed problems. We always like ate a lot. We didn't take care of ourselves. And for me, like, the body really is like a temple or like a room for the spirit. I think we really need to. And when I saw that they weren't doing that, and it was like complaining about everything I was like this it drove me nuts it drove me so far from the religion and I wanted to just be the exact opposite not opposite like I don't want to be Jewish but I just wanted to be like I don't know maybe i would never gone to Israel and seen people that have been in like go to the IDF or whatever yeah yeah exactly yeah
1: Yeah, there's the aspect of it I think with Jews there's um, they come in all colors, shapes and sizes but within certainly within the community i grew up in i felt you know related to food and it's not an area that i've addressed a hundred percent um myself but related to food it was kind of one of the few acceptable vices and definitely a lot of things got channeled in that um in that direction in a way that maybe we wouldn't see alcohol
0: like i used to go to chabad at university of florida and when we would go like on you know Shabbat dinner, it was we were throwing back. Yeah, drinks. alcohol
1: could also be one of the few really? acceptable
0: vices. Yeah, I mean, as a vice, that's done in moderation. I don't. Think no, no, that's no. All no. So but bad. no, I'm
1: saying even as a vice, it's there. There is kind of an, an outlet for that. Really? Where sexual vices, there's no room for that publicly, right? Drug vices, there's no room for that publicly. Gambling vices, there's no room for that publicly.
0: What is Jewish law on drugs? Like, what is it's just taught?
1: it's it's not so much about law right because you can find culture. um yeah you can find a lot of problems in like problems with alcohol mm. in Jewish law right the, the famous rabbi the the previous Chabad rabbi who called uh, alcohol a disgusting thing right nevertheless a lot of Chabad people drink um drink alcohol so it's not so much about what you'll find in the scriptures as much or the laws as much as the culture itself so within uh. the culture there was an environment that you weren't out of place if you were a little bit drunk. You weren't out of place if you were consuming wine. You weren't out of place if um, you used food as a vice. Mm. Yeah. Whereas in others, that could be. But gambling or drugging or um, uh, uh, anything sexual you know, that was known, those vices, there's no, there's no room for that in the culture.
0: That's why it was so intense when you came out about what you were dealing with. With porn addiction and things like that. That's why it was like mind blowing to so many people, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, within the community a lot of people were were surprised. Um, some thought it was unnecessary for sure. But as um you know, as other people started talking about it, more people felt comfortable talking about their struggles. Yeah, ins like on the inside a lot of people are struggling with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Just um I'm thinking like if I was listening to this before I overcame the the fear of speaking and some of the, some of the the other things. It can almost be used like someone listening to it to say, "Oh, like even this I can't do," meaning oh, I have the fear and I have the fear of addressing the fear. Like it can only it could almost make someone mm. feel worse. And the key for me with all of these things was I, I kind of shared a little bit here, but was owning owning the problem each times, so even when I was. When I hired that the guy to approach women, right? Saying, "Okay, like I gotta, I, I gotta overcome this." My, my backup was kind of the parachute thing. It felt uncomfortable. would just to explain exactly what I'm doing. Hmm. Like, hey, I noticed this discomfort, and I have no idea why. Yeah, right. I have no idea why I have this discomfort, but that's what I'm doing here. You Pure know? honesty, though. Yeah. So it's kind of, and I I did it a lot of times with speaking, is sometimes the extent of what I said was I noticed that I have this fear of public speaking I feel like it's holding me back I've committed to talk in public anytime I get I don't have anything more to say than that thank you so much for listening Hmm. and that was the I I, in recovery meetings I shared that at Shabbos tables I shared that a very similar talk to that and just and there's going to be one other person in the room who
0: feels the same way yeah and what you're doing is service to God in, in a sense and it's not trying to benefit you, right? I mean, when you were doing your TED Talk, it wasn't to necessarily grow a business. It was to, right. like, teach people.
1: Yeah, I felt like there was, um, at this point, same way I feel now when I do this is that there's this buildup of energy inside me that if I uh, don't allow it to come out of my mouth, it wants to come out of other parts of my body. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but that was one thing that, like, it, it surprised me because I've been getting asked to do a lot of podcasts, sometimes about, like, the science of CBD how it works, what it is, and all this. And then someone connected us and I said, What what is he about? You know, I had no idea. And I started looking because I don't really I try not to be online too much these days. When I have a kid, I'm trying to be like so present. He's so young. Right. Once he grows up I'll have plenty of time. And um Not sure how you figure, but what's that?
1: I said I'm not sure how you figure, but okay.
0: Uh <laughs> yeah, I don't know. No go, ahead I'm trying to spend as much time. Yeah, right. no, it's, it's awesome. so simple. I you love know, him, yeah. like it's just so straightforward. I've seen so many of my friends that have to work these long jobs, like eight, nine, ten hours in an office, and they come home, the kid's passed out, and they see their kid on the weekend. Or there's guys that have the freedom to be with their child, and they go and like spend all the time golfing and hunting and messing around, and their wife's just with the kids, and that's that's what they choose, so I don't judge them. But I wanted a kid for so long. It was such a desire of mine for such a long time. And then I remember... I saw a podcast with Jordan Peterson and he was talking about those first four years are so formative. Right. Don't take them for granted. And, yeah, I just wanted to do that and like, I'm blessed that my business allows me to be home and my wife is allowed to be home with our kids and I just want to do so many experiences with him, and teach him like what I went through and let him learn from his faults. So, it's been so cool being a father. So, how
1: how is it explained to you what this podcast is about?
0: Oh, right. So, they didn't explain anything. So I had to look it up. And I'm looking up. I said, oh, so he must be making his money from the podcast. What does he do? And then I saw the TED Talk. And I started watching a few clips. And I'm like, wait, but is this his business? Because he doesn't have a bunch of sponsors. He's not like getting paid a ton for every single episode. I'm like, he's doing this out of sheer like love to talk to people, to learn, and to share with his community. Which, it just seemed more authentic to me. Maybe there's... Other things behind that I haven't seen yet, but I know you have other businesses. But a lot of the podcasts I've gone on, this is like one of the big things. They're like a health professional or a big guru, an influencer, and a podcast is one of their main sources of income. And to spread the knowledge and it comes with everything else, a lot of financial incentives.
1: Right. Um, Yeah, I'd love to figure out how to do that right now. This is only cost.
0: Oh, I'm sure you will, though. <laughs> Not kidding. It's uh, yeah, yeah, it's
1: good. It, those stuff it, it can easily muddy the uh the the waters. And I'm sure at some point in time we'll add certain things, yeah. um, that generate a little bit of income that will allow it to, you know, do things more easily. And obviously, I believe in building um, businesses and people and everything else that are self sustainable. So at some point, would be great. But no, at this stage, it's um, it's really an energy inside me that builds up. And there's a dam and the dam is right here. Yeah. And either I release it and allow for the energy to pour forth or it creates a, a whirl in the pain inside me. So. And
0: talking does that for you too. Sometimes like talking about it and expressing yourself.
1: Yeah, I've said about, you know, I, I don't consider myself to have an addiction today. Um, and I know that's not common in the 12 steps to ever say, that so they say once an addict, always an addict. And I get that. The other side of it is that. I don't that, do that. Right, saying that I'm an addict. Allowed for certain excuses yeah. that I no longer want to give myself. Um, so I, I don't identify with I'm having an addiction today. But I often said about that, that if the energy didn't come out of my mouth, it came out of my penis. I love that. I mean,
0: that's Yeah, and that's just...
1: Awesome. So I, I, I found that I constantly needed, for whatever reason, just to express in certain ways in order to deal with the buildup of energy that happens inside me. So... Me, this gives an opportunity and it's fun. I meet new people, yeah. have different experiences. And um yeah, like you hesitated about the the breath work at the beginning. And for me, that's awesome. Yeah. You know, well, earlier today we um interviewed an artist, his name is Michal Muchnik, and it started with a um before we sat down, he did this somatic art, he called it, something he developed as an artist trying to figure out ways to, you know, use that to heal. And for 15 or 20 minutes, he had me listen to music and Drawing on a piece of paper, I'm like, hey, I got a. Uh, that's a cool what you're talking about. Gotcha. Right, a cool experience. So yeah, for <clears> me, it's <throat> it's it's awesome to have this um, platform, which I see almost as a channel to, yes, that extends to the world, but also brings a lot of good stuff into uh, my life. So thank you for for joining it.
0: Oh, for sure. Appreciate. I'm impressed. Me like when I was talking before, just briefly, I was saying like that being Jewish, like I wasn't so proud of it. You know. Because like the people that I have grown up with, they just seem kind of weak to me or whatever it is. But now it's like the more Jews that I do meet, they just seem so much more powerful in a way that I was acc- not accustomed to before. It wasn't just intellect. They're willing to push the boundaries for their benefit, for their own personal health. And ice bath, things like that. That's not an easy thing. I don't want to jump in an ice bath. You don't want
1: to We can do one after. No, okay. No, <laughs> I, maybe.
0: But yeah. it just shows me that there's so much more that like our people can offer. On so many levels, and it's in the realm of what I find interesting too, like health and performance. So it's rejuvenating for me to have a conversation like this too. Awesome, yes, I'm glad to uh,
1: glad to hear that. You know, just just one thing on the um, yarmulke, because some people may may misunderstand it. I'm not. It actually, I didn't. I grew up Orthodox, but I moved away from that completely and wasn't mm. keeping the Sabbath or kosher or anything. And now, in the last couple of years, I've started to add it back into my life. But this didn't start from that. The yarmulke didn't start from that. The yarmulke I started wearing in 2020 simply as a a message of Jewish pride. I saw a little bit too much anti-Semitism, and I said, hey, I want to walk around and carry the Judaism proudly and not be ashamed that I, that I am Jewish. I had family. My mom was born in Morocco, and her family all moved to France. And anytime we visited growing up, we were told, you know, hide the fact that you're you're Jewish, wear a cap or something else so as not to call obvious attention yeah. to yourself. And I felt like some of those things were coming to America in 2020, where there was a suggestion, you know, some suggestions, some of the anti Semitism coming out that maybe Jews shouldn't be so obvious about their Judaism. And maybe those who are pro Israel don't have to be so obvious about that. And I thought, hey, you know, that exists in Europe, but we don't need that here in uh, in America. So this actually started more as a, a Jewish pride thing. Let me so. ask
0: you one thing if we have just a moment. I'm like we have so full time in the world there's, I always find there to be a disconnect between social media, media in general, and real life. When I go online, I see a thousand things about racism and the horrors of racism and this and this and just every bad thing. And I walk around my community and I have, I mean, obviously I'm a friendly person, but I don't see it. I see guys that look like so aggressive that are not my color with let's say gold teeth and they look like a thug and they come up to me and they say have a blessed weekend and they shake my hand i see people of all shapes colors that are like loving people and i think man is this like i'm sure there is some like racism and different things but it's so online and so prevalent online we think it's so available and it's happening here all the time and so you're mentioning anti-semitism have you experienced that like in person here?
1: I experienced it very, very heavily in Europe. Ridiculously heavily in Europe. In so, what way?
0: Aside France. from like your parents telling you, don't do that because it could happen. No, like, I'm talking- What did I, you get firsthand?
1: I was attacked on the street with FU Jewish bastard, literally, in Manchester, England. Multiple
0: times. We were, eggs thrown at us and- Is Manchester uh, a good neighbor? Like a good town, like city? Or is it more like you travel through there? I don't really know. I haven't been to the UK. So
1: it's in England. Uh, England's very anti-Semitic. Very, very Really? I was yelled at many, many times for- for for being Jewish, yeah.
3: Unbelievable. Yeah, in the
1: U.S., I haven't had a tremendous amount of um, negative experience in the U.S. I certainly had some growing up in Brooklyn. There was some tension, you know, in Crown Heights, there was some tensions between really? the Brooklyn? the black community and the Jewish community. But um, I think some of that, some of that was anti-Semitism, sure. Some of it was also just tensions between two very different groups of people trying to live in the same um, same neighborhood, meaning, you know. I remember my um my dad told me that when we moved onto the street in Brooklyn, where we moved onto, it was all black, and we we're the first Jewish family. And my dad asked one of the neighbors he got friendly with, like, "Do we have to be worried here?" I said, "No, you don't have to be worried, but if more you guys start moving in, then you do, right?" So it wasn't so much yeah. about anti-Semitism as much as it was, you know, hey. You guys moving in, and and these ten blocks, all of a sudden, the price of real estate is is uh, is being driven up, and you know,
0: was it like a white thing more so, or just a more affluent thing? Against it, it
1: could have felt it could have felt anything, like something right? like that. Uh, we certainly were not affluent growing up, and Crown Heights is not an affluent community, and certainly wasn't at all in the '80s or '90s. But they may have felt, um, they may have felt that way. I'm not sure, but so I've I've certainly experienced it, if. If you want to know if it's there, dress up as an obvious Hasidic Jew, Jew and you'll yeah. you'll find out. I've never experienced it with the yarmulke like this, but I think that sometimes the um the full attire of a Hasidic Jew sometimes could give someone the impression that they're an easy target. And, and it's
0: and, such a weird how it goes. Like you know, in Surfside, I would see some like very Hasidic Jews, and I'm. You know, I consider myself Jewish and I would like walk by and say hello, and they would give me like dirty looks as if I'm like the enemy. Cause I could look like I'm a, a Jew, maybe, or the opposite of a Jew. There's like a comedian. I don't know what the opposite is, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. but just like a guy that's like, a, I usually have my head very shaved and a mm-hmm. little bit of muscle and all this right. stuff. Like when you think of like a skinhead from American History oh, X. I got it. You know, with the tattoos and all that kind of stuff. And once they find out I'm Jewish, they're like, oh, okay. And like you were bar mitzvah and everything <laughs> right. else, and they get they they realize and they're a little more like nice to me. I don't I wonder if they feel that pressure too. Like people are constantly on the attack, so they have to be a little defensive. When
1: I when I was dressed in that attire every day, um, and You're having to like enough
0: black suit, like
1: everything, yeah yeah, yeah. That, every... yeah, yeah, full full Chabad, yeah, attire. When you know, as a teenager, when I had that, I definitely was more, um. I know what the word is but i was i was more sensitive to to those interactions the otherness that i felt because i felt that it was placed on me mm. um more often at the same point in time i'm not i'm not someone who attributes everything that happens to anti-semitism and any yeah. uh, every negative experience a jew goes through is anti-semitism i definitely think a lot of this stuff is overblown uh by and large america is a country that um we accept we accept differences and a lot of tolerance for others it's better here than probably um than probably anywhere else in the world at the same point in time i 2020 i think there was something going on in the country there was a lot of tension and oftentimes in those environments when people feel the tension then hate comes out and hate is usually directed at the other and what's interesting about the jew is we somehow managed to be the other to almost everybody it's successful like
0: successful generally, you but, know, and No, it's not.
1: It's actually <clears throat> not true. Really? No, because a Jew can be hated because they're you. rich and hated because they're poor, you know? Meaning I, I don't think someone sees a Hasidic Jew and assumes wealth. They may assume something else, right? Meaning they they can be hated as, oh, you're powerful and you control the world and you're dirty vermin. Yeah. You know, there's both Isn't that exist. Isn't it so
0: exists. weird how it goes back and forth where... Or you know, and I heard, he might be in fear that someone hates us or so a little standoffish, and
1: yeah, yeah, once that's in there right when there's oh, a, a lot of it is a lack of understanding and a you know a tension that exists, you know what's what's interesting is I've gotten like fairly close over the years, I had a boxing coach for a while. I have a shaman um that I know now, and both from middle eastern countries, and
0: what type of shaman I'm just curious
1: like an ayahuasca shaman, oh, and he was middle eastern middle Eastern, yeah, and. Fascinating. Um. What's interesting is that as I've gotten like it's been a, I'm giving two examples, but yeah. there was a boxing coach that I worked with. He's now moved back to Egypt, Egyptian, and when we used to hang out, I felt like I felt like I was hanging out with a brother. Like meaning there was a a, a comfort that I had with him that was much more than than
0: others. And he challenged you, right? Like physically
1: challenged. But it, was, you. But it wasn't only that; it was his, Connection. like his background. It was something about oh, okay. him that felt to me very, very familiar, even though he was, you know, an Egyptian Arab. I mean, and
0: who knows how long back? Maybe you had
3: similar bloodline. Yeah.
1: But I'm just what I thought about it. And there's several examples of that where I've connected very well. What felt like on a much deeper level to um, people from an Arab background, and yeah. maybe it's because my mom is Moroccan or whatever else oh, but how many times like, in a group setting i could have felt like so other or walking through a neighborhood of there's like oh it's dangerous like they don't they don't like us you know in england we are in the school i was in we were attacked many times by arab groups and stuff like oh, that so but when it comes down to it i was in school for a year there ah. but when it comes down to it like getting to know a few of those people it's like wow like there's yeah. there's a, a brotherhood and a connection that um been able to feel so yeah i th- i think that once those usually there's a certain fear on both sides that's creating that disconnection. If we can promote more understanding, usually those things can disappear. But it exists. It It certainly exists. You know, Jews are considered the capitalists to those who hate capitalism and the socialists to those who hate socialism. So...
0: Can I say this one more time? This is another thing that, like, always gets me with Judaism, but I want to hear what you're saying. I
1: was just making the point that when, when, when that gets woken up, right, when an environment gets into a state of fear, and
0: you're saying Jews even in its own community like no no Catholics just in general let's socialists. say early
1: covid there was a lot of fear in the environment right the a lot of people were in a state of fear right. and when that happens oftentimes that goes along with blame and fear of the other right. and Jews managed to be the other with everyone and i'm sure there were all sorts of things that were more common. So, for example, there were more attacks on Asians probably early on in COVID because of the thought that, you know, Asians are bringing this to our country. And I'm sure uh, Black people felt more of of that for those who consider Blacks the other. Mm. What's amazing about the Jewish people is just how we can kind of morph into the other
0: for so many people. So you're saying the Jews that are capitalist or the Jews that are more socialist, they're just hated either way.
1: No, what I'm saying is, is that for someone who hates capitalism they'll often attribute it to oh these greedy jewish landlords right. capitalists and then for someone who hates socialists say oh these jewish socialists yeah you know
0: jewish communists so meaning this and this i got you yeah you have
1: um who's the uh whatever we're going off in a bunch of different sections yeah. but rui Rachman, who i interviewed on this podcast who talks a lot about anti-semitism and um israel stuff and other such things other sub-subjects, um, he's made this point that the Jew, you know, anti-Semitism is a thing and has been around for a long time, and I certainly don't try to magnify it, but I think one of those reasons is that we manage to morph into the other whoever mm-hmm. needs another to hate.
0: It's a convenient enemy, right?
1: Yeah, but listen, by and large in America, it's been amazing.
0: and yeah. this you know this is an incredible country. Correct. People that do not appreciate being here, they don't understand what else there is. It's an alien world. In other parts of the world, like we, they don't even have a concept like, oh, it's socialist or capitalist. You go there, and it's that's not the case at all. You know, it's people need to be very more appreciative, myself included. We all yeah. need to be. And so just connecting with people, like one on one, is such a powerful thing.
1: You know, the the I don't know who it was, but I think the Rebbe who I mentioned earlier would refer to. Uh, <clears throat> I think America is the no, it wasn't it? Wasn't him? It was others. Just like the golden land, right? And just in terms of a place where. There's a tremendous amount of freedom, tolerance, understanding, love. You know, you think of the average amount of charity that's given. I'm pretty sure I, haven't, I saw something a while ago. I haven't looked at any studies recently, but the average American gives much more charity than the average European. Yeah. For example, there's definitely something um, that's been in the cult- this culture that was super, super, super good. And hopefully we can keep it that way. By we choice, can... too.
0: And also not by choice, but. What? Well, uh giving money to people in need, you know, whether it's our choice because we want to do more donations and help more people. It's not
1: called charity when you tax people and I'm not talking about that. Yeah, exactly. No, it's about actual charity. Yeah. Right, actual charity is giving someone else. I think that that, um, other countries do more of that, right, because they give the sense that the government's going to take care of everyone so why would a person have to? Yeah. Whereas I think that, you know, within the Jewish community they've definitely, we've definitely done a very good job of, that is, helping our own when there's someone struggling and saying, no, it's not the government's job to take care of People the poor. The government has a role, but it's the community's, community's yeah, job.
0: Yeah, exactly. Whether it's small community or big, but it's not the government's job to take care of everyone, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with you. a little you. too political, but... No, yeah. I agree with you. My,
1: you know, I have spoken a little about politics here, but just keep it yeah, as small yeah. as possible. You have it as... Least corrupt. Yeah, but
0: accountability on. is just so important. That's what it, I think. Living on your own land and taking care of your family and little simple things like that goes so far. But, yeah. Awesome.
1: Some thanks coming out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Appreciate
1: uh, getting to know you. Maybe we'll do a Shabbat dinner together soon. Yeah, anytime.